This show is part of the Electric Agora network of podcasts. Milton Lawson, good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for having me here. Uh, welcome to everyone in Sophia land. Uh, I am here with Milton Lawson, who I have, who now has become my regular go-to guy for everything related to genre, uh, film, television, popular culture, and so on and so forth. Uh, Milton, um, please remind the audience who you are, what you do, and um, maybe your your latest uh, your latest uh, uh, publication. Yes. Yeah, so um, my late, I'm Milton Lawson. I'm a comic book writer based out of Houston, Texas, home of the cheating Houston Astros who were spanked pretty hard yesterday by the Red Sox. Hence, I'm in black. In Everyone's morning. rending their garments <laughs> over that online. I mean, like on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They can't let it go. I think this is the last year that they will really give us heck over it. But, you know, maybe I'm being naive there. Um, but uh, my first uh, comic book series got published this year and um i've got a copy of the trade paperback collection it's called thompson heller detective interstellar it's a private detective goes around the galaxy solving impossible mysteries uh one critic called it doctor who meets sherlock holmes so that might be relevant to our topic today um and Milton and I did a did an entire dialogue on Thompson Heller, and I will link to it in the um, in the description below for anybody who might have missed it. Um, uh, the occasion today of our conversation. Oh, oh, first of all, what what's in the work? So Heller's done, and you now have the trade book. What do you got in the works? What what's going to be coming out of Milton Lawson next? So I have so many things in the works. 2022 knock on wood might be a breakout year but the one thing i can definitely tease for folks uh, my next big project um, is a combination of sports and science fiction and um there's uh there's a website set up where you can sign up for an email list update uh just go to homeplanetadvantage.com we'll link to it we, we we can start showing you uh some of the in progress works um, we had one little teaser that we were showing select folks at uh, New York Comic Con last week, and the response was amazing. So I'm very excited. Could you about just it. brief give give a give an elevator description of the elevator pitch description of the concept? Um, oh gosh, you know what? I want to keep that in my back pocket at the moment. I'll just I'll just say just that, let them go um, to the website and look at it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and and sign up. Well, but basically. Um, it's humans and aliens in the ultimate sporting competition. I know about, uh, I knew about this. And that's why I wanted you to stay because it's such a freaking cool concept. Yeah. Um, um, and I've, and I saw, I saw some of the early potential art. Is it remaining or is it, has it changed radically? Um, it, no, it, it has, it has evolved and um, not to get too divergent here, but I showed a artist uh, who's on a very high profile book at Marvel comics um, that I was approaching to do like a alternate cover for me. Cause that's kind of the thing in comics. You got a main cover and then an alternate cover. Um, and he looked at the art and he said, man, this is fantastic. You don't need an alternate cover. So that's a good endorsement. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. We are here to talk about Dr. Who. Um, and this is Dr. Who is a, is, is a dear thing to both Milton and I and Milton and me. Um, and, the announcement that very recent what was it last week two weeks ago i think two weeks ago yeah russell t davies 
the man who is responsible for the reboot of the series after what a 30 year hiatus or something like that, a 20 year hiatus. Yeah. 25, 27 years, something yeah. like that. Um, that he's returning to the show. Um, that seemed to be a good occasion to, to have a, have a, have a decent conversation on, on our, on Dr. Who um, Milton. Um, what just about the Davies return. Could you tell us, I, I, I haven't read all that much about it. Can you tell us a little bit about the circumstances surrounding the return and why it's created such anticipation? Well, I think the circumstances are, um, there's a distance between the online discourse and the reality. The online discourse is um, a lot of people have been um, proclaiming the doom of the series with the most recent showrunner, Chris Chibnall, um, and the 13th Dr. Jodie Whittaker. Um, there's a kind of vocal uh, minority group that just does not like either one of those. Um, and so the online discourse seems to be that, hey, Russell T. Davies is the cavalry coming back to save a sinking ship. But the truth from what I've gathered is um, the BBC doesn't quite know how to transition the property into the modern landscape of uh, distribution platforms. And uh. Russell T. Davies has been thinking about this for a long time and he his producers that produced the show with him uh julie kavner or i'm, I'm messing up her name no it's um, not julie kavner isn't that the actress oh, from Rhoda? yeah 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 exactly <laughs> gosh yes yes oh uh, they're going to see now here you'll see your moments <laughs> they're already coming they're already coming um so but uh his 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 product his co-producers um basically their production company is going to run uh, this sort of in a, in a more autonomous way than what the BBC has normally done. And the idea here is it's not just a return of Doctor Who, but it is a, um, a new strategy. We might see more spinoff series. We might see um, a streaming service connection. We might see movies. Um, and he is also already charged with doing a 60th anniversary special. Um, so he's got a lot on his plate, uh, in terms of bringing it back. Now, almost everything that you've just described has already been done, right? So there were very famous movies made with Peter Cushing back in the, mm -hmm. uh, back in the seventies. Um, there were spinoff shows like canine and company and Sarah, the Sarah Jane adventures, mm -hmm. Sarah Jane Smith adventures, um, Torchwood, Torchwood. It's, so why, in other words, Okay, well, they're going to make spinoffs and they're going to make movies, but they've already done that. So, what, 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 what's different? Is it, is it just, is it more the, um, the, 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 the streaming situation and the fact that people yes. expect whole seasons released at once, that kind of thing, or um, more the more the streaming platform thing? They want they have this property that is still kind of niche. Um, BBC America doesn't have the penetration that a streaming service has. Mm. Um, whether or not BBC will launch their own, um, whether they will partner with somebody else, um, all of that is still in discussion. I mean, right now, the entirety of the reboot run is on HBO Max. Um, so there might the entirety, be a partnership. The, that, the entirety of Classic Who is on Amazon Prime. Right. And they're um, also on, on, Brit, on BritBox. BritBox. On BritBox yes. channel. Right. Right. Yes. Yes. 
So, so what's um, what's what challenges there? I mean, they've already got Doctor Who on streaming platforms. What's the challenge going forward? Well, the little bit that I've gathered, and I'm, I, I don't have too much insight into this, but there is every time there's one of these sort of moments to rethink the the franchise uh, from a business perspective. There's apparently a lot of pressure just due to um, the nature of politics in the UK at the moment. Um, the the BBC itself is under threat. Yeah, the yeah, so-called yeah. the the so-called licensing fee, um, and actual Russell T T Davies um, had a pretty passionate defense of what the BBC delivers for the amount of money that the average taxpayer, because it's not just Doctor Who. I mean, they have they have a breadth of offering. They have tons of different original content. They've got news programming, um, and so um, yeah, yeah, he. Uh, he he hasn't unveiled what his strategy is in this thinking, but um, the the landscape in the UK is is very tumultuous, and uh, the BBC might sell Doctor Who to another media company. Understood. Yeah. So, so you mean um, might, sort of like how how the Hulu wound up buying the Orville, or like so mm-hmm. you're, you're saying that it might it might cease to be a BBC property and might get sold to Netflix or Am- or Amazon or one of these big streaming that's, outfits that's possible i i suspect based on his public commentary that russell t davies wants to avoid that um and so sort of keep it at home in the bbc um and come up with ways to uh, partner with folks um to expand the audience but um who knows everything's you know on the table as far as i can tell gotcha well Regardless, it is a big deal that he's coming back. People, it's a, there's been a lot of hype about it. People are very excited. Um, Milton, you're right about. I mean, of course, there is this kind. There's a certain kind of critique of contemporary popular media, some of which I've sort of inched in the direction of myself, um, but which, in my view, goes way, way overboard and way, way beyond any place I'd be willing to go in which it was the Whitaker doctor that really came under attack. And it's really basically just a kind of a reverse identity politics kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, um, meaning that the people accusing who of playing identity politics are themselves engaging in identity politics and their objection. But I was under the impression that disgruntlement with the new who started already back in the Stephen Moffat era and mm-hmm. um, that there was quite a lot of unhappiness with Capaldi's run also. And so mm-hmm. it's not really just Chibnall and Whitaker, right? I mean, this, yeah, people have been, been grumbling since Davies left. Am I not right about that? Um, I think you're right. And I think um, the, the show clearly plateaued at the departure of David Tennant. And um, the arguments can be made whether Tennant is a singular attraction or just the the show itself reached a ceiling that it, it can't go beyond. Um, but um, I've followed a number of the ratings reports over the years and they're, they're pretty consistent and solid and uh, 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 not in a major decline in any way. Um, there are some occasional fluctuations and it goes up during um you know, the introduction of a new season, introduction of a new doctor um, and like the holiday specials that they do. 
Um, but in general, they basically kind of plateaued around the end of tenant and, and haven't continued to grow. And, you know, everybody's always under pressure to constantly grow. So the perception is something might be wrong. (laughs) Was, was Capaldi's era already Chibnall or was that Moffat still? That was still Moffat. That was still Moffat. And I'm, I, I'm somewhat sympathetic to, um, the critiques of his era, especially his first series. I felt like Moffat seemed exhausted at that point and, and didn't know what to do with this doctor and didn't know what to do with that companion. I felt that companion had uh, a lot of challenges with her. Um, and then once they moved on to another companion, the 12th doctor felt a lot more fresh. Um, and um, I think the end of his run was really strong. Okay. Um, great. So that, that sort of gets, you know, us through like sort of what's going on in the contemporary landscape for now. I mean, Milton and I are both old people. And so, um, although I'm older than he is, and um, so our, our, at least my history with who goes back very long way back to the middle seventies, uh, early middle seventies for me, at least for Milton and it'll be later, but why don't you, I thought we'd start off maybe talking a little bit about, what our experiences with who have been. So how did you come into who and, um, and what kind of role did it play in your life? And I'll do the same when, when you're done. <laughs> yeah. Um, who came into my life like it did for many uh, generation X folks um, on PBS with the fourth Dr. Tom Baker. And it was, a jarring experience at first because, um, you know, what you would typically see on PBS those days were boring to death, educational programming, uh, operas, just nothing of interest to a young person. Um, other than, other than the children's programming. Yeah. Other than that, once you get past like age eight or nine, PBS doesn't really have a lot to offer you. And so um, I was just flipping around one day and there was just this bizarre show that um, seemed science fiction, but also didn't have the production value of American science fiction shows. Um, So I couldn't really tell, like, was it an old show or a new show? Um, But it had this undeniable dark atmosphere that American shows didn't have. And there, there was something very attractive to it. And at times it could be very intelligent in the, the conflicts that the doctor would walk into. Um, and I happened to very early on um, catch um, the, the Tom Baker episode uh, with, the, with the Daleks where he is faced with the uh, conundrum of he he gets a moment where he's able to uh, essentially commit genocide against the Daleks. Genesis prevent- of the Genesis of the Daleks. Yes, Genesis of the Daleks. He, um, you know, he he grapples with the enormity of that decision and actually chooses not to end these horrible creatures. And you know, I must have been around eleven years old when I saw this, and um, the profundity of that kind of a choice um, really resonated with me and made me more interested in what's going on here. Um, 
and then in a weird way, um, the whole concept of the show and the fact that there were multiple doctors uh, filtered in to me through like word of mouth. Um, we, we were not aware of the history of the show um, and the PBS didn't really ever bother to explain any of it. They just showed it. Um, and then, um, you know, I was out on the playground one day and some kid was like, no, there's other doctors and there's an episode where other doctors come in. And um, even then I didn't realize that there was a long history of the show. I just thought it was a, a one-time special that they cast these extra doctors. And I thought, oh, well, that's a pretty clever concept. But for me, the doctor was Tom Baker's fourth doctor. The whole thing with the regenerations and stuff, you just had no idea about. So I had no the- idea. So roughly what years are we talking about? So when, 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 how, what year was it when you were 11? Uh, it would have been probably like 81, 82 ish. Okay. So um, already, this is already after the Baker era is over mm-hmm. and we're, and, and we're in the, at this point, the Dave, Peter Davison era, right. Would be right. In terms of the real time. Right. I, I never saw any of that. You had stuff. no idea. Cause you were watching yeah. these reruns on PBS. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna let my dog out. Hold on one second. Here, go, Madison. Go. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Sorry about that. <laughs> this is DIY here at Electric at Electric Agora. <laughs> um, um, um. So that's you as a kid. Yes. Did you then uh, did you then find out more about who start watching its contemporary incarnations until it went off the air or did you only come back way later with um, with uh, the reboot or were you getting it on VHS? I mean, how did you what bridge what was your bridge between 11 between 11 when you were watching the Tom Baker and then the reboot era? Um, It was the most bizarre thing. Um, I still was not aware of the history of the show. Um, and then about four years later, I, um, I had a foot injury and, um, went and got, got it treated and got put on some really, really loopy medication. (laughs) And I got to, I got to stay home from school and, I was in Florida at the time and the PBS station in Florida was playing Dr. Who during the day for whatever reason, like on weekdays. Um, and they were playing the seventh doctor era. And at this point, I think it was probably contemporary, pretty close to when the, the broadcasts were. Um, and the combination of the strange incarnation that was the seventh doctor and the drugs I was on, it was just a transcendent rebirth into the whole concept. And I, I, I loved it. Um, and then I tried to find out more about the show, but I really, we didn't have the resources back then. There was no internet. Um, and I was too lazy to do the whole deep dive in the library kind of thing. You, and you didn't read, you weren't, a, you weren't reading the sci-fi magazines. No. Well, I, yes. Cause um, I, I like Starlog and cause they would, they would have stories, you know, and, and stuff. <laughs> And Starlog, I was really bad about um, just reading the one thing I was interested in and going going to the back and looking at the calendar of like upcoming things. Um, so I was aware of it, but it wasn't until the reboot that I really just 
got completely immersed and used the fact that you could legitimately and sometimes illegitimately acquire the entire back catalog. And then that's when I dove in and got to know all of the other doctors and just became uh, a, a, a big devotee of various ones in the history. So this is all before the reboot. No, the reboot is, is what led me to dive back okay. in. Was there, okay. So, so really your primary like engagement with Dr. Who in a deep kind of way is post reboot. Post reboot. What it did was partly at least sent you back to. Yes. You remembered watching these fragmentary parts of the show. Yes. When then led you back. And because at that point you could get all of this stuff on DVD and and VHS and all this sort of stuff. Then you started going back to all of the. Yeah. Okay. That makes perfect sense. Um, Yeah. So with me, it was a little different. Um, So as a young kid, I watched the original Star Trek, which was in syndication. And so, you know, on, um, you know, on, on, on local network affiliates. So, and, and, and local stations, for some reason, I'm remembering in New York, it was WPIX, which was channel 11 at the time and um, would show the original series, Star Trek reruns. And so that was like my first, real sci-fi and i'd say i started watching that probably when i was five or six years old um and um and it was one there were very few things my parents let me watch as a kid um they kind of similar to my diet they kind of thought it was important as a kid that i not eat garbage and that i not watch garbage and (laughs) so and god bless them them being from europe and being from the silent generation which means they were practically born before they were cars um they just didn't really grasp um that some of the cartoons they weren't letting me watch were actually brilliant right um we're Mm -hmm. talking about like classic you know looney tunes and 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 uh and stuff like that um but one of the things they did let me watch was star trek and um so i watched that and then i remember I was kind of sad. I was must have been seven or eight. So this would have been, you know, 1975, 1976. Um, um, I just by accident saw an episode of Doctor Who, and I remember which one it was. It was Day of the Daleks, and from the Third Doctor, and it scared the crap out of me. And I remember at the time, my association, my implicit association with Doctor Who was that it was a scary horror show, Mm -hmm. funnily enough. And indeed, if you remember the Tom Baker era, there was a whole season that was essentially horror. Mm -hmm. Um, Pyramids of Mars, Talons and Wang. There was a whole bunch of them that were very gothic and dark. and, And I think Moffat was trying to channel that a little bit during his era um, um, yeah. Um, and uh, with less less satisfaction on the part of the audience, but um, so my initial reaction to Doctor Who was that I was scared of it, and so I I didn't watch it again <laughs> <laughs> um, because it scared the shit out of me. Right. What happened was, and then I didn't watch it again. I had no awareness of any of it. Right. But then. Once I was in grad school, so I started grad school in 1990, 1991. And that was, of course, still to a great extent, for the most part, of the VHS era. 
it was starting to change. First, there were laser discs and then there were DVDs. But for a while, everything was still being released on VHS. And I then started my manic collecting. <laughs> and I collected everything from Star Trek that existed up until that point, which was only the original series and the next generation. And when I ran out of Star Trek, I started looking for other stuff. And I found Doctor Who on VHS. And I started collecting from number from the first doctor (laughs) all the way up through um, the uh, through through the McCoy era, the last doctor Mm. before it went off the air. And um, so it was in my 20s that I really got into became a collector of. And by the time I came to Springfield, Missouri in 2000, I owned every single episode of Doctor Who that was available on VHS. I owned wow. it. Wow. So I had an entire bookshelf of just VHS Doctor Who from Hartnell and, through McCoy. And if I recall correctly, during this time period, some of the ones that you could get were uh, like bootlegs. Like not official. Well, uh, US there were release. some that were unavailable because they were either partly, only partly recoverable. Because you know, oh yeah, a yeah, whole yeah. interesting story about what the how the BBC just taped over shit and dumped shit and all kinds. There's yeah. actually like five videos on YouTube, like documentary style videos about how the recovery of old Doctor Who episodes was done. And yeah. since then they've released almost all the old Doctor Whos with animation and voiceover and still photographs to fill in all the missing. Now, I Mm -hmm. will say that in the 90s, that started. So I was able to get uh, the second Doctor episode, The Invasion, which was only partially uh, recoverable. I was able to get on VHS. I was able to get a few others from the Troughton and from the Hartnell area. Um, the, the, The one that was written by um douglas adams called shada for the um tom baker era that was lost um i was able to get on vhs with still photos and voiceover to oh wow okay yes. i didn't even know they had that of that one so it, yes it, it went back to the night in the during the 90s you could get some of them on vhs nothing like now what you can get i mean now they've really done this incredible work so i had as complete a, a, a collection as you could have and um just absolutely fell in love with the show for entirely different reasons than I loved Star Trek. And maybe that's something we'll get into. Um, um, But anyway, that's my, that's my history with the show. Um, Let me ask you now, and maybe this will be interesting because, because of our different ways we got into this. Oh, and then of course I watched the special when it came back in the nineties with what, with Paul McGann Mm -hmm. Um, didn't really love it. Um, was a little disappointed. And then, of course, when the reboot came, I jumped on the reboot. The reboot, I watched up through Tenant and maybe the first or second seasons of Smith. And then I found myself losing interest. Um, each new doctor, I would check in and watch a few. Didn't like Capaldi very much, although from what you said, maybe I should have stuck in longer. Didn't like Whitaker at all. Um, and by that time, I was just kind of done with it. Um so given how very differently we kind of our histories with this are now, I'd like to ask, to ask you to talk a little bit about 
classic who versus reboot who sure so so what what are your thoughts which is your favorite or if that's not the right question something like that question how do you think of these two series um where do that where do these two series sit in your consciousness so i i guess i would say there are two striking differences between the eras well i guess three and we'll get the obvious one uh, out of the way is just uh production Production value. value yeah yeah production value um the uh the original two series was almost exclusively uh tethered to a television studio environment that was designed to capture live panel shows multicam like news big bulking hulky cameras that couldn't move um and so the limitations that were available or that were constraining on it were enormous. Um, and unlike like Star Trek, which has a, a similar sort of uh, structure in a sense. And uh, Star Trek had the benefit of being filmed on studio lots. They have all these different kinds of productions going on and they're like hey we're, we're filming a western over here we're filming uh this kind of movie over here we can double the value and, and get you to reuse some of those sets and backdrops so um star trek had a leg up there production value wise um so that that's the, that's kind the, of the, part isn't that part of the reason i tell me if i'm remembering correctly that's why you have these weird episodes in Star Trek where like all of a sudden they find an alien planet. That's that's the Wild West and stuff. Right. Yeah. So they oh, could, totally. They could reuse sets and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and um, I, I, I do have to tip my hat to the to the people who did make the original series of Doctor Who. Um, they they managed to uh, convey locations and ideas um, as well as they could with the parameters that they were given. Um, and they did it just well enough to where you could kind of set aside your critical thinking and just let yourself take the ride. Um, so, but now you don't have to do that. Now they have, you know, the highest uh, quality production. And, um, and so that, that's one clear difference. And not just, you know, in terms of like era, like technology always gets better, but I mean, the, the production capacities of the BBC versus Paramount was just extraordinarily different. Um, sure. So that's number one. I, I guess number two, some of, the, some of the writers that they had in the early era were um, more genre and sci-fi focused first, television second. So like, like Douglas Adams like you recommend um, Terrence Dix uh, who invented the Daleks and wrote most of the episodes in, involving the Daleks. Um, and one of them, what was Hulk? And there's, there's like two guys that like was Barry Letts together. a writer or a producer. I think Letts was a producer. Okay. Yeah. Um, one of them, like there's a duo that wrote a lot of the classic great episodes and it's like, it's hilarious. It's like 
Hulk and smash or, I mean, it's, it's hilarious. I can't remember, uh, but um, I'm, I'm losing my brain here, but um, so I think that is, 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 is a clear differentiation between them and the new era, the new era people like Russell T Davies, he cut his teeth on uh, situational dramas, uh, mostly involving gay issues uh, Stephen Moffat started out uh, like with uh, Coupling, which was a relationship comedy. Um, Chris Chibnall, uh, he he was a huge Doctor Who fan, but he was more of a TV guy. He did um, like a, a police, long police procedural. Uh, so all of the modern showrunners kind of come from a like TV first background genre second. And in some respects, that's paid off very well. Um, and I guess that would lead into the, the third major difference. Um, and that that is the difference in the role of the companions. Uh, in the classic who more than, uh, more than often, um, now I, lo I love so many of the companions. Uh, I, this is not meant to be a, a, a knock on them. But generally, the writers treated the companions like just a vehicle to ask the doctor questions so that the doctor could look smart and just give uh, the propulsion to the storyline. Hey, hey, doctor, why are we doing this? What are we doing? Where's that? What's that? Um, and but, so they were. But that's but I mean, that I mean, is that a criticism? I mean, that's sort of a, a, a very well known and I think sound literary device right is that there sure, has to be somebody sure. for the audience right that the audience yes. can identify with yes and that kind of is a medium between the audience and this very esoteric yes. kind of character no yes yes and and but what the modern writers have managed to do is keep that uh keep that element uh, but also expand them into having a three-dimensional gotcha. existence themselves. Gotcha. Yeah. So I, I would say I, I would say there's one clear exception, um, and we've already talked a little bit before the show. There's one uh, companion from the classic era who transcends the limitations of the classic era. Um, I don't know if we want to well, go we'll there talk, yet. We're going to talk but, about companions and doctors. Yeah. So let's well, for now. Let's let's leave. But it. I would say those are the three big differences: production and, value. And then fourth, do you have a favorite new who or classic who, or is that not even like a good question? Um, I think. Are they so different? Do they play such yeah. a different role in your consciousness that they're not competing with each other for you? Um, I kind of, I, I lean more towards the, like, I don't like the question side because I mean, uh, truth be told, if if I'm gonna sit back and just watch a Who episode I've already seen before, I'm probably gonna watch something from the New Who era. Um, it's it's a lot more densely packed, so you can get through like in 45 minutes what they used to do in four or five 20 minute chunks. Um, so just it's a little bit more efficient. Watching the old Who stuff is a little bit more of a, a, a time investment but I still love that stuff. Um, so um, I guess I prefer not to answer the question, but if, right. you, if you push me, if you push me, I would, I would probably prefer the new who. Right. And, and it sounds to me like when you, when you, what you said was, was tells, says everything, right. I mean, if I'm going to rewatch who's I've already watched, 
it's going to be new who for the most part. Right. Right, Um, right. And um, um, partly because of the, the, the pacing, the length, the, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. 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 And what I think the BBC needs to do, honestly, I think, uh, and you may consider this uh, a a tragic uh, option, but I would love to see them repackage some of the original doctor stories um, re-edit them into a more compressed time frame. Um, maybe update the soundtrack a little bit. Um, I'm I'm on the fence on maybe enhancing a little bit of the effects. Um, I know that there are, are, are some Star Trek episodes, classic Star Trek episodes, that they've enhanced the effects on, and it still looks like it's from the era. Um, but I think you could reintroduce all of the older doctors to the new audience um with some tighter re-edits yeah um all right so um when i so for me my main my 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 comparisons are going to overlap with yours i think i might come to some different i might land in a different place than you do but a lot of the comparisons that are going to give, I'm going to give are, are going to overlap with yours. It's just that they have a different valence in my mind than they do for you. <laughs> um, so one of the things that strikes me right off is that Classic Who is clearly a show for children. Okay. And New Who strikes me as a show for adolescents. Mm-hmm. And that makes an enormous difference. And it, does things in the new who that I very much dislike. Okay. Particularly all the juvenile sexuality that you get in the tenant era, the really adolescent kind of um, in your face, um, boringly radical sexuality that you get in the tenant era that then gets metastasized and made Torchwood unwatchable for me. Um, um, I just hated everyone in it because they kept, acting like a bunch of very stupid horny teenagers and they're supposed to be you know saving the planet and i just found the whole thing laughable um and insulting and i just wanted nothing to do with it um so that's one huge difference is that old who was for children and i i lament the fact that we don't have that kind of programming for children anymore Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a bad thing that we no longer have that kind of programming for children anymore because it was so smart and for its time rep- presented a hero that was a thinker and not a fighter, right? That was committed to nonviolence that for his day and time had very advanced and progressive views without them being uh, a caricature or something that 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 just is so obviously cynical and manipulative that you don't buy it, right? Um, um, it was earnest, right? Um, and um, so I really liked that about it. I thought what Classic Who showed was a time when people really cared about the quality of what they produced for children. So that was one thing about it that I really appreciated. Um, and that now I appreciate in hindsight. Then I would, like I told you, I was scared to watch it um, 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 because I had no introduction, no context. You know, these shows were watched with by, by children with their parents. 
what people don't know is about some of the the old classic Doctor Who girls. And by the way, they had pinups. Mm-hmm. Like Joe Grant draped over a Dalek, right? This was for the fathers who had to sit there and watch these shows with their kids because back yeah. then, back then, a lot of families didn't just let their kids watch television without any supervision, right? Yeah. Anyway, all of that I find culturally fascinating um, and really interesting. And it's one of the things about the old show that appeals to me in that there's so many things about it that just don't exist anymore. Um, and, yeah. and so it's, it's to me, it's, it's, it's a nice glimpse back into a different time. Um, certainly the production values. Now here, I'm not going to say I prefer bad production values, right? <laughs> because that's ridiculous. But I do think that really, really good production values, and especially when they come easy, can make late for lazy writing. And I think that part of why those old shows, those old star treks and those old who's are so good is because they're trying to compensate for the terrible production values. Right. It's like, it's like, look, we have no money. So what doesn't cost money? You know, it doesn't cost any more money to have good writing than bad writing. Right. It doesn't cost any more money to have you know good acting rather than bad acting. And so I really feel like the shows just did so much with what they had. I would say that with what they had, the old who did much more than new who did with what they had. Right. Um, um, It's easy to make a show when, you know, you can just CGI all the aliens and you can just, you know, throw in all the stuff and, and, you know, it's a lot harder to make an alien that in a that looks ridiculous, like a ridiculous man in a rubber suit. Interesting. Right. Yeah, That's a lot yeah. harder. Right. And um, so I give it credit for that. I also do think as a, you know, thinking as a younger person, back to being a younger person, there's something about lower production values that does make the audience use its imagination a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that that also is something, I mean, my imagination with those old shows really used to run wild. And I, I I remember, I thought this when I, when the Lord of the Rings movies came out, I thought, you know, something, this looks a little too good, (laughs) right? Like, like now I can never think of these characters again, other than looking like fucking Orlando Bloom or, you know, and, and that to me is kind of a detriment. So all of those things are, um, but I think, I think the biggest thing, and it's the thing that you like the most about the new that I like about the old. I like the pacing. I like mm-hmm. the fact that it's patient. I like the fact that it gives it to you in small pieces that you're meant to sort of ruminate on for a week and then see what's going to happen the next week. There's you know, this anticipation. There's a, I hate this binge watching thing. I hate this watching whole seasons <laughs> in one shot all the social dimension of, of television vanishes, right? When you yeah, do that, yeah. it just turns, it turns television into movies is what it does. And we already have movies. So why do I need TV to turn into movies? Right. I mean, I don't want TV to be movies. I want movies and I also want TV and they should do different stuff. Right. Um, this is why I'm not on board with this whole golden age of TV. I don't think it's the golden to me. The golden age of TV is mash. When 500, when, you know, when 150 million people watch a show, that's the golden age of TV. Not when five people watch a show 
but everybody in media fawns and 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 jeguflects all over it like they do with Breaking Bad or whatever. But you know, you compare the viewership numbers; it's a joke, right? Right, right, right. It's a joke. It, you know, you talk about cultural impact, right? So for all of those reasons, I mean, I like the old Who. I like that classical, almost masterpiece theater kind of pacing, heavy on dialogue. Um, it's all about atmosphere and getting yourself into the universe and into the characters. You live with these characters. Um, and the new who just seems unspecial. It's just like all the rest of TV in that regard. And um, so anyway, that's my take on it. I don't know if you have any thoughts or, or views or. Well, I, I, I don't want to um, misrepresent my affinity for the, the, the slower pace of the, the original. I do, however, say, think that they're, there are just some obvious moments. There are like, there are some moments where they will spend eight minutes going down a corridor. Oh, okay. Like, you know, you know, now if, if the doctor's having an interesting conversation with the antagonists or people in the story, um, all of that kind of stuff, I, I think is totally valid and fits with what you're saying. But there, there are some occasional moments where like, all right, we've got to fill some time. Let's, you know, Let's go out to the rock quarry and walk a mile. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that that stuff. That same rock quarry, man. It's on. Oh every, man, they got so much. It's out on of it. every planet they go to. It's on <laughs> Earth. It's everywhere. That quarry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're totally right. No, you're totally right about that. <laughs> um, all right. Um, so let's talk about favorites. So maybe. Do you do you tend to think of your doctors in terms of favorites overall, or do you think of them favorites of New Who, favorites of classic, or do you just put them all together and have one list of favorites? I usually I usually go overall um, just because um, I like to show more respect to the to the to the old show by you know including them as peers, um, even though I. I admittedly prefer the new stuff a little bit more. Uh, some of some of my favorite doctors are from the original camp, so uh, I, I like treating them as peers. And I love the just the concept that you know, even though we had this giant gap in time, this is one character. It was never intended to be like this. This was uh, an ingenious decision uh, to keep Cash Cow going when you've got a major actor who's uh, too old and frail to keep Right, when going. Hartnell goes, you're like, oh shit, what do we do now? And that's when the whole thing started, um, when, when with, with Troughton becoming the second Doctor. Yeah, and in many respects, Troughton is kind of really the first Doctor, yeah. because what, uh, what he brings about is uh, this notion of a uh, regenerated character that we didn't really have in the first one yeah. so it, it's almost like the the concept really begins with him and no disrespect to the first doctor i love i love some of that stuff as well um so you 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 put them all together because it's meant to be one character yeah. all through all right so why don't maybe we'll do um to be fair to both series let's let's say let's do four four favorite doctors they don't have to be ranked but four of your favorite doctors from whichever era and maybe a little bit about each one and what, what you liked about their run so much and their portrayal so much. So um, I think my favorite doctor overall um, 
is maybe one of your least favorites. I, I truly love the David Tennant era. I, I think the Tennant, the Tenth Doctor, um, I think Tennant's ability to segue uh, from whimsy to serious drama to furious old man of the universe to um, moral uh, crusader to jokester on the turn of a pin with just exuberant energy. Um, I think, I think he's, he's my favorite doctor of the new era. Um, and it's, it's kind of, of a, one is that one is. Yeah. Tenet. Yeah. And you like the way that all the different sides of the doctor play out on him. Um, yeah. And, and do you, and what do you like about, do you also like him because of the era? Do you think that his era is when the sh- yeah. uh, particularly strong episodes? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, later on, when we talk about favorite stories, there's a run of stories that he's involved that I, I think you can just hold up as like, if you're going to watch a half dozen episodes of who watched this run. Gotcha. Uh, and just, just this weekend, when I knew we were going to be doing this, I, um, I rewatched one of my favorites and there's a moment um where almost unprecedented in the show up until this point i mean you get a little bit of it with eccleston um but um there's a moment uh, there are several moments in tenet's era where you get a really personalized view of him as a person and his narrative as being you know, the last of his uh, species. Which one are you thinking and, of? Which episode? So uh, one of my all-time favorites is the, the two-part episode, Silence of the Library and Forest of the Dead. It's the one that introduces River Song. Yeah. And she has to cut to the chase uh, to get him to trust her really quickly. Right. So she whispers a secret into his ear and the reaction that Tennant gives is just stunningly vulnerable that you don't see from the doctor almost ever and an awareness that hey i'm in this situation i'm a time traveler this person's from my future but they mean they probably mean more to me than maybe anyone ever and then he transitions from that into science you know excited science adventurer like solving the problem he like pivots on a dime on that and he's able to do that uh, throughout the series. And so I, 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 I really like him first. And then I, my other contender for number two. And if you ask me the same question, like a week later, I might invert one and two. I just have to go with Tom Baker. He's, he's where I was baptized into the religion. Um, the, the mania of his performance, the like, anti-authoritarian just chaotic nature of him and it extends almost to me like thinking at a metal level it's it he's almost even that way on the production he's not just like uh, i'm against the like leadership of the time lords or i'm against these bad characters that are trying to do bad things on this planet i've visited like tom baker's like the writers want me to deliver this line this way i'm gonna deliver it however the hell i want and he's just this manic ball of energy. And uh, you can't, 
you can't not enjoy a, a fucking Tom, Tom Baker. I'm sorry. I hope I'm allowed to swear. I already do, I've already done it. <laughs> uh, like, it's too late. <laughs> even even the, like one thing with the new who, like when there's a bad new who episode, it's it it's kind of it's kind of dreadful but a bad a bad tom baker episode you still get to watch tom baker, like a tom so, baker. <laughs> yeah i love right, it give me two more so these two are your these two are at the at the top give yeah. me two more that you really like um i'll have to go uh patrick troughton um the um there are a lot of elements of subversion that I also like in the Tom Baker uh, doctor that um, just strike me like retroactively thinking about what it must have been like watching television in the black black and white era and having a character, uh, you know, that just sort of bonkers. Um, and he also had the ability to go from like whimsical to like when he got angry, that dude got angry. Um, and, and so I really liked him. Um, number four, since you, since you said we're going to try to mix and match both old and new, I'll go back to a new, um, and, um, I really dig the Matt Smith era. Um, I like him quite a lot. I think Moffat did some fantastic writing in some of those series. Um, some of my all-time favorite episodes are from the Smith era. Um, so, um, yeah, so I'll go Smith from this era as well yeah yeah um um what's the name of hit uh, the first smith companion who carries over well, what's her name again uh amy pond right i like her a lot and I, I i like i like the whole contrivance of him coming to her when she's a child and then mm-hmm. I, I thought that was really well done i found that to me was one of the rare times in the newer who where I actually felt the sense of real, like, I don't know, excitement at a, at this beat. This is a time travel show, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. That I hadn't felt since the old who, I mean, I really felt it with that. I thought that was done really very well. Um, and I, I think that's probably the best entrance episode of any of the doctors. Yeah. I think it's like amazing. he got the best, he got the best entrance episode. Well, I might, I might, I might have a quibble with you on that, but, but, but okay. it's, it's a damn good one. Let's just say that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, all right. Um, so my doctors, my four daughters, uh, so I'm not going to be able to be even handed. I mean, there is one new who doctor that I do really think was excellent that I really like. And his era is my favorite era of the new who, uh, and that's Christopher Eccleston. Um, and here's here's why and he's not my number one but i'm going to mention him first since since i'm mostly going to talk about old who but let me talk about him first um i think eccleston was the way to go if you wanted this to be a show for a bit more mature age for a bit more of a mature age um um i liked his gravitas i liked i liked the fact that he was serious i liked the fact also that you know he wasn't incapable of humor. There were, there were lighter moments. Um, um, and I loved the way that he engaged with Rose. Um, one of the one, Rose, who's one of my favorite companions. Um, um, 
one of the things I didn't like about Tenant and then onwards is I really, really dislike the idea of the doctor having romances with female companion with companions. Um, I, I think that that violates one of the fundamental basic elements of the show. Um, and even if it's not fully realized or manifested, even broached, it bothers me. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know that I could justify or explain that uh, rationally. I mean, again, did you not think, did you not think like, in the old era that, that those relationships were happening, but just off camera? Cause that was kind of my take to it. Wait a minute. You thought that off camera, the doctor was sleeping with Joe Grant or with Sarah James Smith. I don't. That was I did. Yes. Really? I, I, yes. Yes. But I, I was okay with them. Really? Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> And do but you think I, that I just, was intended? Um, gosh, I'm shocked. Um, I don't think it was necessarily intended, but implied. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what ever implied that John Pertwee's character was sleeping with Joe Grant ever? Well, I, I, I can't speak there. I'm, I'm uh, the Third Doctor era is the one that I or Tom just Baker can't and Sarah Jane Smith. Um. The intimacy with which and comfort that they were with each other just felt to me like somewhat like a couple. It, it really did. I always thought that that relationship was always super platonic and either parental or like a close, like a kindly close uncle, like, 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 mm -hmm. but romantic. I never, ever got that. But listen, I mean, you got it. You got <laughs> it. I mean, I, I never, that never, that is though one of the, at least for me, one of the things I really don't like about the newer the newer Who is the the, the broaching of that. Um, I didn't like that. It never occurred to me that one would think that way about the old Who, but fair enough. Um, 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 and let me, I, I would say my position is more justified just at the very high level of the structure, not necessarily in the dynamics, but if you look at the roster of companions that this old man chooses to bring with him, he's always going with, you know, attractive uh, right, but women. That's, but usually, we know why that is that was because they were trying to satisfy the do the dads who were watching. Sure, yeah. You know, in other sure, words, yeah, that, yeah. that wasn't plot implied. That was market. That's implied, right, 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 right. Um, but right, the right. idea wasn't that they were having they were having it on in the show. It was that here's eye candy for dad because mm -hmm. poor dad has to sit there and watch you know five five hours of people in rubber suits running around. Um, um, so that his kid is not going to watch, doesn't watch the show alone. Um, um, but fair enough. Uh, listen, your impressions, your impressions that, that never occurred to me. I, that's the first I've heard of that. Um, is that something that people say, or is this your, um, take? I, I, I very possibly a minority of one here, but I have no but, idea. Uh, um, 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 so I liked Eccleston for all of those reasons. I loved Rose Tyler as a companion. She reminded me somewhat a little bit of Ace from the last Doctor's era, although obviously older. Um, she had a little bit. Of, I liked the fact that she was working class. I liked the fact that she didn't have a posh accent. I liked the fact that, you know, she was kind of, you know, tough and and a little uh, and, and defiant. Um, um, it just was it, I just thought it worked really well. Um, um, so I liked Eccleston a lot in terms of the new, when the new who first came out, it was Eccleston. I was like, this is freaking great. 
I liked the beginning of Tenet, and then as Tenet went on, I liked him less and less. Um, uh, I started to feel a little bit like the doctor, the way he was playing the doctor was getting to be full of himself in a way that I found unlikable. Um, um, and um, although I will agree with you that, that, that his era has some remarkable episodes and episode arcs. I mean, look, I am not going to say even remotely that this is not good television. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I am very well aware that he is overwhelmingly the most popular. So I'm not going to try and say he's no good at being the doctor. All I can say is his kind of doctor is not what I watch doctor who for is, I guess what Mm -hmm. I'm, is what I'm more getting at. Um, And maybe I still watch doctor who sort of like I watch when I watch children's shows. I mean, as an adult, I still watch children's programming because a lot of it is stuff that I grew up with and is just tremendously um, important to me, right? It means something to me. Um, um, And so I'll reread children's books that are favorites of mine. I'll rewatch classics. I just rewatched the old, I don't know if you remember the old Pippi Longstocking movies, um, no, never saw those. Oh yeah, from the seventies. Oh, they're wonderful. Um, I, I I just rewatched. I just rewatched those. Uh, th- those, um, and so maybe maybe I'm still thinking that Doctor Who should be a children's show, and that's prejudicing me against some of the new Who because clearly it's not a children's show anymore. Um, other three Doctors. So this is very easy. I'll just go one, two, three. My favorite Doctor of all time is John Pertwee. That's the third Doctor. Um. My second favorite doctor of all time is Troughton, the second doctor. And my third favorite doctor is probably most people's least favorite or second to least favorite. And that's Sylvester McCoy, who ended who ended the class, the old who before it went into the wilderness for 20 years. Um, let me just say a brief thing about each one and then we'll, we'll, we'll go on to the next thing because I've been going on too long. Um, why do I love Pertwee? A, I love the actor. I just like his persona. I like his personality. Um, I liked him being earthbound. I thought that that introduced, I thought that was a great literary move. It introduced a great constraint that now he would have to operate within. And in a sense, made him depend more upon others, right? I always felt with the doctor that there was a little bit always of a danger of him becoming too powerful, too super strong. And, and, and my problem always, this is why I never could get into Superman. If a character is too powerful, I find it uninteresting because there's no dramatic tension. Right. Um, um, I don't want the doctor to be that strong. I don't want Superman to be that strong. Um, um, there needs to be some weakness and some vulnerability in order for, for, for it to work. And for me, at least. Um, so, so Pertwee is being trapped on the earth. I thought was great. And it introduced the ensemble that he then worked in for a season, uh, a season or two that had started in the Troughton era towards the later part. And that's with unit, which is this military organization that the companions work for. So Joe Grant works for unit. Um, the, 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 the woman before Joe Grant, Liz Shaw works for unit. The brigadier works for unit. The brigadier is one of my favorite characters from the show and, and is, is in the show from the Trouton era all the way up through the McCoy era. Um, and um, so I like that aspect about it. And here's the most, here's the number one thing though. Um, 
Pertwee had the best villain ever in the show in Robert Delgado's master. That pairing of him and the master of, and Delgado to me is just the ultimate of that kind of hero villain pairing in television, not just in Doctor Who, but in television. Um, and the people that they got to play the master after Delgado were never, never remotely as good as Delgado is as, <laughs> as doing it. And um, so for all of those reasons, I love Pertwee. Troughton, I like for a lot of the reasons that you said. I also think that Troughton had some of the best uh, episodes. Troughton also had some of my favorite companions. Um, mm-hmm. I love Jamie McCrennan. I love yeah. I love Jamie and Zoe together. Zoe being the brilliant genius futuristic girl and Jamie being an 18th, 17th century Highlander. I thought they were tremendous together. I love the shows that they're in together. So I, I, I love Troughton. Um, and I love Sylvester McCoy. Um, A, because his doctor was in some ways struck me as the most mysterious of all the doctors. You really weren't entirely sure um, of what was going on, what, what, what his motivations were. You always got the sense that he had a much bigger picture that, that, that others didn't have. It also has some really, truly fantastic episodes. Um, one of my favorite episodes of, in all who the remembrance of the Daleks is from, is from his era. Um, and I love Ace as a companion. Ace is like probably in my top three or four favorite companions. Um, so I thought that was really done too. And uh, so, yeah, that's me. I don't know if you have any thoughts or reflections. Well, uh, I, I'm also with you on uh, feeling that Sylvester McCoy is vastly underrated as a doctor. He would have been uh, my next choice um, uh, if, 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 uh, if we had gone one further. And I, I agree with you uh, for, on all the reasons um, that you cited for him. And uh, just to circle back to Ace, I think Ace is by far the best companion of the old Who era. Um, the sense of um, growth and just engagement with the the harshness of the universe and uh, the morality and um, the the doctor pushes her in ways that the doctor never pushes yeah. any other companion. He takes her seriously in a way that I don't think that the, the, ever the previous doctors did um, and takes his role as a mentor to her seriously in a way that I yeah. think uh, that I found powerful. Um, um, yeah. What did you think of? What did you think of? Did you? I know you don't like Pertwee, but what about what I said about uh Pertwee and Delgado, the, the master. Um, um, did you at least find that a, a, a strong element of his of his reign? Or are you not a big master fan? I do like the master. I now did did Delgado. Delgado uh, was the first beyond... one. He was the one who played the master through Pertwee, but then he died, and he was mm-hmm. replaced by Anthony Ainsley, who played the master in the Five Doctors which was okay. during Davison's okay. during Davison's reign. And I want to say Ainley also played the master during Baker. I want to yeah. say he was in the last Baker episode okay. before the regeneration. Oh, wait. Isn't, doesn't that make him also, wasn't he in the first episode of the fifth doctor as well? Uh, Cause the master's in that yes. one as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which is Castrovalva. Yeah. Is the first yes. episode yes. of the Peter Davison. 
Yes. Which is a yes. really good one. Yeah. yeah. No, it is. And listen, Ainley's great, but I just think Delgado is almost like Ricardo Montalban level. <laughs> like he's just, well, one, I don't know, wonderful, but go on. Yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to get out of this conversation was an entree into the third doctor era. Right. Cause I love um, it. You can't stand it. So why don't we talk about that? Go ahead. I can't stand the third doctor and uh, I haven't given him enough of a chance. Um, and I'm aware that he is revered by a lot of uh, big doctor who fans like Neil Gaiman. Uh, that's his favorite doctor. Oh, I didn't know. That. Um, and um, recently all of the fans of doctor who uh, read doctor who magazine, like, voted for the best season ever of the show. And it was one of the Pertwee era ones. So I know that it's well-regarded. Um, I, I dislike the Pertwee or I can't get into the Pertwee era uh, for a number of reasons. And one of which is the reason that you like the series. I just fundamentally think that Dr. Who is a show about a man that goes in a box that goes around the universe. And so having him stuck on earth all the time, to me, it feels like I'm watching a different show. So I'm, I, it's a big barrier for me to try to get into it for that reason. Uh, the other main reason, um, one of the virtues of the doctor that you celebrated uh, early in this discussion is uh, the fact that you've got a, a thinking hero over a violent hero. And Pertwee and, was more action. And Pertwee was, you know, he was famed for his physical interactions and fights and also venusian aikido (laughs) venusian aikido yeah yeah which i always Uh, love but i can see why (laughs) yeah and then also just you know this is one of the areas where like the production values back then like okay i can i can pretend that this rock quarry is another planet but believing that this guy the 60 year old guy is a expert in some sort of uh, alien martial art. It was a little hard for me to grasp. Um, and, and the fact that he aligns with a military unit has always struck me as undoctor-like. Like the doctor, whenever he goes to planets, he's usually skeptical of the military. Um, and he's always, you know, trying to preach for means of resolution that don't involve arms. Um, so that feels, you know, non-doctory to me. And then just the aesthetics of him, and I hate to say this, but I, but it's it's how it feels to me. Like when I see Pertwee, like I see like Austin Powers. Like you mean the, you mean the outfit, the outfit, just the whole dandy aesthetic. It just feels to me like he's Austin Powers and he doesn't realize it. He thinks he's James Bond, but he's really Austin Powers. Well, I think um, it's definitely something to the James Bond thing. Um, because he was also the one that got all these vehicles and sort of stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. No question that there's that there was an effort to kind of take some James Bondy stuff um, to him. And look, yeah. you know, who your favorite doctor is is not like something that's provable or you know. So I'm not going <laughs> to sit here and try to convince you. I just do want to say just a couple of things only because um, they occurred to me while you were talking. Um, we, you know, we talked about dramatic tension and one of the ways that they did it with the third doctor was by earth binding him. Right. And so that, mm. that diminishes his strength. 
But another place that they really did do it was precisely in him constantly butting heads with the brigadier, right? So, I mean, okay. it's not like he just acquiesces to everything that unit wants to do. He's constantly mm-hmm. butting heads with the brigadier. And mm-hmm. at least with the first companion, Elizabeth Shaw, um, he's got a companion who's his equal. That's the first time you have a companion in Doctor Who who is an accomplished scientist in her own right. And mm-hmm. a lot of times she and the doctor together team up against the brigadier to object to his, some of his more <laughs> bullheaded kind of uh, uh, bullheaded kind of engagements. Um, so I just wanted to say that I think that part of the reason for situating with him within the, the military organization was to, was to create some tension perhaps in order to replace some tension that had been lost by, by, you know, taking them out of outer space and all of that sort of stuff. Um, um, so that, uh, maybe, go ahead, go ahead. Maybe when this is over, you can give me a few other recommendations, but I'll, I'll start with the first appearance and then try to find the Delgado uh, appearances. Yeah. The Delgado comes pretty soon. I think it's terror of the Auton. So it's still in the first part we season. Because the Autons first appear in the first Pertwee episode called Spearhead from Space, which I was going to say is, in my view, the, the rival other great, um, great oh, okay. uh, regeneration episode, because it's just hilarious watching him like, like, you know, looking at himself in the mirror and like, you know, Pertwee had this famously <laughs> rubber face. So he's like pulling at his stuff. He's like, my God, what did they do to me? And then he goes, I don't know. Maybe it's not so bad. I mean, it's just very funny. <laughs> I found it hilarious. Um, the other thing is um, that I didn't mention, and I'm, I'm wondering about your view about this. Um, forget about whether units military and earthbound and all of that. I realized that I just like ensemble television like if Mm -hmm. i think about all the shows i like the most they're all shows where the strength of the show is in having a really strong tight ensemble and um that's why i like the original that's why i think the original star trek has not been matched i mean i do think that other shows in star trek history have elements and things about them that are better than the original but in terms of the ensemble the original remains the gold standard in my view um you know what mash incredible ensemble right honeymooners ridiculous ensemble ridiculously good ensemble right and i just realized i think that this is one of the things that i think i like distinctively about television is this idea of having these great ensembles that you then live a long time with over months and years to where they almost become like your neighbors or your friends you think about Mm -hmm. them when you're not watching and so that's why I like that Pertwee era so much. It's the most ensemble oriented of all the Doctor Who's. Um, I think they actually tried to recapture that with Torchwood, but I just mm-hmm. don't think the characters were all that compelling. They were not very likable, a lot of them, right? Um, other than Harkness. And um, so um, that's that's the, one of the main reasons why I like the Pertwee era. I just like ensembles in television. Are you more of a of a great solo lead type of guy, or is it, or do you also like ensembles? You just don't like this one. <laughs> I, I, I like ensembles as well. And some of my favorite shows um, have that uh, capacity. Uh, I would consider, you know, the West wing game of Thrones, both of those fantastic ensembles. And um, I think Dr. Who has managed to do both. 
Um, there were some strong ensembles. I mean, the very first doctor, you know, that group was really strong. Um, so, some of the second doctor ones were pretty strong. And that's what Chibnall tried to do uh, in the most recent incarnation. And that, unfortunately to me, was the biggest failure of the show. Like the, what do you think over... What do you think didn't work about that ensemble, that last Chibnall ensemble? Well, the main thing is, is he split them up every episode. Mm. And so we had a lot of times we would have a doctor plot. We would have a Yaz plot. We'd have a Graham plot. We would have like four different threads. Um, And so each one of them was kind of under utilized and we didn't get the banter back and forth with, with this group. Hardly any, I mean, the whole two years that they were together, they were almost never on screen together all the time. They were constantly. So you have up. an ensemble that's never ensembling, right? It's like- right, right. <laughs> and and that would just, it was beyond baffling. And and one of the, the actors, well, two of the actors just weren't up to the task, I think. Um, so that is another unfortunate aspect of it. Yeah. But um but yeah, I, that's an interesting way to think about some of the different eras. Like the ensembles sometimes do work really well. Yeah, I, I, I and this will just segue over us to the talk about companions, um, um, and then maybe we'll end with favorite episodes. Um, I don't. I mean, I have my favorite companions, but I tend to like them because I like them as part of an ensemble with the Doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know how you feel. So, what do you? What are your, why don't you just give us your, you know, give me four of your favorite uh, 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 companions with a little bit of a blurb on each one. So um, I probably will only go with three because. Whatever, uh, it's fine. But like, um, I I, I kind of do think Ace is my favorite companion of all time. And really? It's, it's, and it's really just down to, to her, um, her arc, um, just the the dynamics that we've already talked about, the fact that she gets challenged in ways, and you know she's very young, and um, handles herself in in the these really um, you know extraordinary circumstances in ways that um, really resonate. And the performance is great. When she fights uh, off the Daleks with the baseball bat, oh my yeah. god! I, I, every time I watch that, like the hair stands up on the back of my neck. Yeah. Um, let's see. I'll think, you know, I could probably do four. I would, you know, next is probably maybe a controversial choice, but I really do love Amy Pond's arc. I like, I I like the fact, I like the fact uh, that we started with her as a young child. Um, and she has this sort of lifelong connection to this mythic figure that turns out to be real. Um, and some of the, the journey that she goes on just, um, the the one uh, episode um, I can't recall the title, but where she's trapped in a loop uh, constantly. Um, I don't remember the title either, but I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, where she's she she finds she's like a swords person. Yeah, that's really good. That one, yeah, Th- that one is a fantastic episode. And like her relationship with Rory, you know, who you know literally stands sentry for her for centuries, waiting for her. Um, I. I, I I just thought that she was a fantastic companion. I think I might have um, liked her a little bit better than I like Matt Smith. I mean, <laughs> um, um, Matt Smith, I don't know. And and am I right that 
Matt Smith was written and that he, the actor himself, intended to try to channel some of Troughton's doctor? Yes, yes. Oh, I don't think he was written that way. I didn't like him. He... <laughs> <laughs> Did you like Smith? Um, the Smith's uh, I, I, doctor? I, I love him. I, I don't see the connection with Troughton. I mean, a little bit of the bumbling, mumbling parts of his dialogue were Troughton-esque, but generally I think he's his own guy. I really do. I, I, I and I, I, I like, um, I like his per- persona a lot. I, I thought he did really well. Um, Pond, Amy Pond, a- Pond, Sarah Jane, just uh, for you know um, longevity and sweetness, um, and the the fact that she was with the Fourth Doctor, one of my all time favorites. She was well, the she first was companion. With both. She was with my yeah. favorite and your and yeah. your second favorite. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and she had a. She had a, a strength, like a, a very um, everyman kind of strength about her. Um, you know, you, you talked about the blue collar aspect of Rose, but I think she has that as well. Yeah. That sort of like English fortitude that that um, we've all come to respect. And then um, I'll have to go with another new era. Um, I hated the first episode she was in, which was a special Um but um, once she was in the show proper, I know I you. thought Don, Donna Noble, fantastic, fantastic, and and the fact totally that agree. <laughs> I I don't I don't share your aversion to there being romantic subplots, but at that moment, you like that she it, wasn't. <laughs> yes, exactly. At that moment, like no, we're not gonna have any of that business, Mister. Um, and she. Um, she was in a lot of really fantastic episodes as well. She she didn't take any crap from Tenet. Um, she was her own person um, and uh, showed genuine compassion for the regular people wherever they would arrive. Um, and yeah. sometimes I think would argue played conscience to the doctor. I mean, there were yes. times where yes. she stopped him from doing something that was would have been wrong and Yes, the force of shame and personality, right? I mean, yes, yes, yes. Uh, I thought that was very strong. I agree with that. Um, and I think Sarah Jane was similar. I mean, mm-hmm. Sarah Jane didn't 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 tolerate the doctor uh playing fast and loose. I mean, she was very Sarah Jane was very principled and and decent and um and wasn't afraid to tell the doctor that he was full of it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. she certainly wasn't slavishly following him. Um, um, the way that I felt sometimes Joe Grant slid into, um, um, but, um, yeah, no, I, I, I like every single, so, so, so Rose is not in your four, your top four. She would probably number five. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, I have one quibble, not with Rose as a character. Um, I felt like they had an original ending to that character that was one of the best endings ever. And then Russell T Davies wimped out and went back because it was a tragic ending. Yeah. And if he had kept the tragic ending, it would have been amazing, but then he undid it. And I just, yeah. I feel that kind of tarnishes the legacy of the character a little bit. For no, me. Fair enough. Fair enough. Although that's a writer's problem, not a, not yes, a yes. Not an actress problem. Yeah. Um, so mine, um, um, I, um, Sarah Jane Smith for sure for some of the reasons we talked about. I am a, a, a big fan of Ace. Also, that's going to be another one. Um, I do want to have some one from the New Who, and it for me it would be between Rose and Donna, um, but I would choose Rose. 
um, um, just because I like that beginning with Eccleston. I really like yeah. that that opening that yeah. opening sequence of sh- of episodes. Um, I really, really disliked the way poor Martha Jones kept having to chase and pine after the doctor. Yeah. I, I really disliked that. Um, 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 I thought it was a terrible writing decision. And um, so you're right about Donna. I really like the fact that Donna, you know, Donna was not that at all. Um, um, yeah. Totally different um, approach, but I would go with Rose slightly. Um, so Sarah Jane Rose, um, 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 uh, Sarah Jane Rose Ace. Ace and then my fourth is going to have to be Jamie McCrimmon I just freaking love him um, <laughs> and he also is in some of my favorite episodes and I just mm-hmm. it's funny I just felt like there was a there was a thing between him and the doctor that was the closest to like real buddies that that mm-hmm. that you really have because uh, you know and and it and it's amazing to me that it worked. I think it has to just to do with the likability of the actor, um, mm-hmm. um, because you couldn't imagine a larger gap in intelligence and a bit and you know mental between a 17th century or whatever he is Highlander and the yeah. Doctor, and yet they were like 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 this. And uh, I really yeah. I really liked that. I thought it worked amazingly. And like I said, the pairing of Jamie with Zoe, um, I, I really, I really absolutely loved. Um, and um, so I think those would be, those would be my, those would be my favorites. You want to close out with uh, some favorite episodes? Maybe three, sure. three, let's say. Okay. And these episodes so, are all multi-part. So three. Yeah. Yeah. Three cl- clumps of episodes really is what they are. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to cheat because I've already mentioned two of my favorites, Silence of the Lambs, The Force of the Dead, and Genesis of the Daleks. We've already talked about those, but they're among my favorites. Um, Hellbent, which I think you may not have seen because it's towards the end of the Capaldi run. I've only seen the first season of Capaldi. Okay. Um, the second I was so season disgusted, of Capaldi, I stopped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The second season of Capaldi um, might bring back your faith the third season there's parts of it i knowing how i know you there are parts of you may not like but i'll send you the the sequence of like this and this one in particular um it's to me it's in the running for best doctor who episode ever um it's it's just an extraordinary and it's just a one episode thing it's not a two-parter um the war games Second Doctor. That's in my top. That's in my list. That's incredible. That you talk that about. That was. It. <laughs> that's the one that really um, opened my eyes to the possibilities of of the classic show, and and these were people that were really thinking outside of the box when they were coming up with concepts, and this one, <clears throat> just at a very high level. If you haven't seen it. Uh, it's it's sort of um, the the doctor and his companions arrive in this warlike setting, and over time you get to realize that there are weird time dimensional shifts going on in different regions. Um, you might get soldiers from one era or another, and there's this entity that is doing like some kind of observation and experimentation, and that's not even shown. I think 
uh, in the first maybe two episodes or something. I might be misremembering this, but it's no, you don't epic, find that out till well into it. You don't find out. Yeah, what's it's like until a, well into it. It's like an eight episode arc, just really imaginative, um, and it's the last story of the second Doctor, which um, leads into the first time we see the doctor regenerate sort of isn't it also the first time we see the time lords yeah 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 so and he's and so, his and his regeneration <laughs> is a punishment right right or having interfered yes for violating the time lord version of the prime directive <laughs> right 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 yeah, yeah yeah go on um and then i would say um this one is polarizing with the in the community i think but um the Sound of Drums, Last of the Time Lords, the last two episodes of the season with Martha Jones. Um, it's it's the big fight between David Tennant's Doctor and David Sims' Master. Uh, that one, I think, is extraordinary. There's a moment in the first episode of that two-parter where Tennant reveals um, his youth as a Time Lord. And the music is just extraordinary. And he tells the story of what it was like to live on Gallifrey. Um, and I, I think that one is just really extraordinary. And then I guess one more I'll throw in. Um, I've got a soft spot for Vincent and the Doctor uh, by the writer of Four Weddings and a Funeral. Um, it kind of does something at the end of the episode that I think kind of kind of cheats and I don't want them to do this a lot, but they let a historical figure see what impact they have on the world. And he's just overcome with emotion about this is, it. Vincent, uh, this is the doctor and Vincent Van Gogh. Yes. Yes. Right. An actor that they got to play Van Gogh was extraordinary. Um, if I'm just going to hook someone on Dr. Who, that might be the episode that I recommend. That's actually a great uh, question. What, if you had to pick one episode of Dr. Who to get somebody into the show, what would you give yeah. them? And you'd give them either, that one. Either that one, 11th hour, the introduction of Matt Smith, or maybe Blink, uh, the the Stephen Moffat classic. I think gotcha. those are all really good ones. Um, all right. So I've got mine. I, I've got, I, you'll have to tell her, I have got five. Um, I'm going to start with the one you you started with and just say something about it that you didn't. Um, War Games, unbelievable. Um, and um, what I like about it is that they really are patient in the reveal. Yeah. The yeah. first thing you do is they just find themselves in a battle, in, a, in the middle of a battle. And it's a historical battle. And because Doctor Who in the early incarnations had a lot of just historical episodes, this is one of the things I missed about the show that I felt the show dropped, stopped doing that I wish they'd kept doing. The first yeah. Doctor, half of the episodes were not aliens, but were historical. Him going back in yeah. time and had an educational component. Right? Yes. I yes. really liked so in the war games, you're sort of misled, right? You start off and they're just like, in, and you're like, oh, it's a historical episode, right? Until you until you start getting in and then you realize, wait a minute, now they're in a double different historical period. Wait a minute. Now there seems to be two mashed together. Right. And only later that you then find out that there are these war games being held. Right. Um, that the whole thing is part of a larger exercise, let's say. Um, mm -hmm. And um, I just thought it was so well paced 
And the reveals were so smartly placed that it really maintained the mystery. And then once the mystery was revealed, it shifted then into this very tense kind of how is this going to resolve? Thought that was all amazing. I, I agree with you. Um, another favorite from the Pertwee era is Inferno. And what I love about this one is it's a mirror, mirror universe episode. Oh, where the doctor goes into a, where the doctor is trying desperately to get his damn TARDIS to work. All he's got is the console. He doesn't even have the box. He's just got the console. He's ripped the console out and it won't take him. It won't take, but it does. It slips him into a parallel dimension where he's okay. in on earth, but there's an evil brigadier. There's with an eye patch. There's an evil. Oh, okay. Evil. Um, 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 and, and it's all centered around. Here's what's fascinating. I'll just give you a little bit more on it. Um, in the original, in the, in the real who universe, the main plot is around a, do- a professor who's trying to drill into the earth's core to, to release energy because he says there'll be endless energy. And of course it's going to be a disaster when doctor, when the doctor slips into the parallel to the, to the mirror universe, the same thing is going on, but it's a little further down the road. And so the doctor gets to see the bad outcome in the oh, mirror okay. universe okay. before going back to the original. It's just so it's, it's tense as hell and watching all the characters play evil versions of themselves was fun as hell. Um, Genesis of the Daleks masterpiece for the reasons, all the reasons that you said, we get to see the origins of the Daleks. We get to see the doctor faced with a very tough decision. Um, a trout near one that I absolutely love is the invasion which is about a Cyberman invasion of the earth and some of the most iconic images of, you know, you're right that Dr. Who was always shot inside the BBC studios, except there are a few exceptions. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dalek invasion of earth from the Hartnell era and the invasion from the Trouton era. And if yeah. the iconic image from the Dalek invasion of earth is the Daleks in front of Parliament, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was incredible. Yeah. The iconic image from the invasion is the Cybermen coming down the steps from St. Paul's Cathedral. Just crazy. I mean, and when I first saw it, I remember being just remember I was already in in my 20s then. So I was sophisticated enough to grasp how how cool this was. I just was blown away by it. Um, And lastly, I don't know if you remember this one. I think this is, I think the whole Peter Davison era is way underrated. And Peter Davison's doctor is underrated. And the Black Guardian trilogy mm-hmm. is freaking incredible. First of all, it brings the Brigadier back in a really great way. The Brigadier is retired, he works at a private school he has a memory block of something that's happened to him that you then find out later in the episode, what it is. Um, And the doctor's betrayed by one of his own companions, which has never happened. So completely shocking. And I just thought the whole thing was masterfully done. I loved all three episodes in that trilogy. I think the whole mythology around the black or about the black and white guardians are fascinating. I don't know if if you ever Mm -hmm. did a deep dive into that, but I find that really interesting. And so that's my, those are my five favorites. Yeah. um, Yeah. We've, we've kind of underserved Mr. Davison's era in this discussion. And uh, another one that, 
that is universally praised. And I think won the award for best ever episode in the reader poll by Dr. Who magazine, which is caves of Adrazani. Oh, that's really good. That, that's, that's an amazing really episode. Yeah. 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 He's got a lot of good episodes. Now my last yeah. thing I'm going to say, and then we'll, we'll, we'll bid goodbye to each other. If I had to pick an episode to get someone into Dr. Who today, I would go new who mm-hmm. for obvious reasons, but I'll tell you which one I would pick. Go for it. The second episode of Eccleston, where he first takes Rose to witness the end of the world. That's a fantastic one. Yeah, absolutely. I freaking love that. I love the whole cast of aliens. I love Rose's reactions. I just think yes. it's so, and, and the, the setting, the last mm-hmm. human, the, just the skin, right? I mean, just, yeah. It's that's everything about who that I love is in that. Mm-hmm. And because it's new who it's accessible in a yes, way yes, that yes. I, would, I would not give somebody today an old who as the first thing to watch. Yeah. Um, but rather that's the one I would pick. So, and the other one I would say would be, what's the, what's the name of the one it's with the fucking kids with the gas masks glued to their face. Oh gosh. Yeah. That's a Steven. That was the first Steven. Moffat that's the one. first Steven. Moffat. God, that's good. Yeah, Rose, yeah, okay. I love that. Uh, one. And it does does that also introduce Harkness? Or am I getting yeah, right? That that the world introduces. Yes, yes. So that's another one that I that I strongly recommend. <laughs> anyway, Milton, I think we've done it. Oh, absolutely! It only <laughs> took two hours. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> but the only people watching this are going to be diehard Who fans anyway, and they yeah. they would watch six hours. So yeah. Milton, well, as always, it's a joy. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. And um, well, we'll talk to you again. Is there is there anything coming imminent of you or from you that we could talk about coming up? Or um, is any are is any new product from you going to be a while off? Everything's probably going to be a while off. I've got some things that are um, basically done, but the publication time is still under uh under review um it, it's funny because i i literally could have up to like five things drop next year or one it just I, I just you know you have nerves of steel to work in that industry <laughs> i don't even know how you do it milton lawson thank you so much